0: You know, the very best Talent I hear today are very, very genuine. They're natural fibers. The best people today are people who don't know what it means to sound like a disc junk. And today, with social media being what it is, with TikTok what it is, everybody who has a phone is a broadcaster of some form. So the people that are really entertaining there are the ones who have the potential to entertain over the year. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard Radio Flyer with non-stop service around the world. Heard on Spotify,
1: Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and now YouTube. Your safety and comfort is important to us, so please direct your attention to your pilot and host, Freddie Rivera. Are you ready, Mike?
0: I'm ready to go. Let's talk to roll. There is this
1: pretty giant radio convention in Chicago called Morning Show Bootcamp. And uh, I think this has to be my very first radio conference I've ever been to in my life. Uh, it's weird because when I was working at Kiss FM uh, in LA, you tend to put yourself in a bubble and you forget to to go and network with other radio people across the country. You're just so consumed in what you're doing on Kiss, and then finally, I think Dana was the one who invited me out. She's like, "Freddie, you got to come to the the morning show boot camp," and I'm like, "Ah, you know, what? I'm gonna do it this time." This is you know, the, the timing was just perfect. Uh, I love Chicago. I flew out there, and I went to go use the restroom. Uh, I went to go wash my hands, and I walk out of the restroom, and lo and behold, and I said this to you. The best dressed man in Chicago. And you were wearing uh, this this dapper suit with a, a violet or a purple uh, a dress shirt underneath tucked in. You look classy. And I'm like, I think I know who that guy wow. is. So uh, he's yeah. been part of every part of radio, uh, formerly executive VP of content and programming for Cumulus. Uh, now he's doing McVeigh Media and consulting for just about everybody in media today. Mike McVeigh, thank you so much for being here.
0: Freddie, thank you not only for the invitation, but for the compliment. Thank you, I appreciate it. There's only been a few
1: people who dress as well as that in radio. Mike McVeigh and I think Rick Dees. And I I was I was his intern back in the day and he would always wear suits and he would always say, you dress for the gig you want, you know? And I always, I always yeah. thought that was really cool. Uh, so tell everybody how and why you got into radio and you were pretty young when he you started kind of taking over and being a PD as well. Right?
0: Yeah. I, uh, I started in radio at 15. My uh, brother and I used to stand outside a radio station near Pittsburgh, a uh, little town called Greensburg, PA. And uh, we would stand outside, look through the window at the DJ. And while the records were playing, he would get up and walk backstage or out of the studio, and I remember saying to my brother, "Where's he going?" And my brother said, "Well, they drink and play cards while the records are playing." And I immediately went, "I want to do that. <laughs> that's and the gig that's I want. The job. Yeah, that's the job I want in radio." Of course, none of that's true. Uh, they don't let us drink and smoke and play cards during the song. <laughs> but it got me interested, and I uh, started at 15 doing weekends playing church tapes, led to an early programming job in Wheeling, West Virginia, then in Charleston, West Virginia. A guy named Ed Salomon was the corporate PD for store radio. Ed hired me and moved me to Los Angeles to be his national APD. Shortly after I got there, the PD left. They made me PD at 25 Uh, The station in L.A. What type of guy are you at 25 years old? Because when
1: I was 25, I I don't think I was ready to be PD at 25 years old. So what was that
0: like? It was really an education because I had to learn that I worked for them. I mean, when I got there, there was uh, legends like The Real Don Steele and Charlie Tuna and Jack Armstrong and Machine Gun Kelly, not the rapper Machine Gun Kelly, (laughs) the DJ Machine Gun Kelly. Dave Williams, Joe Nasty, Nancy Plum, uh, just amazing air talent. And, and I realized pretty quickly, if I help them do their job, they help me be a success. And I learned so much from them. I really did. Uh, matter of fact, when I went there, like I said, I'd been impeding in smaller markets. The staff I was leaving to go to L.A. gave me a T-shirt that said, I must hurry to catch up with the others. For I am their leader, and and that was so true. But you know, you learn by fire. I mean, they threw me out of the boat. I swam or drowned. Mm -hmm. Fortunately for me, I swam.
1: Yeah, and what a career! I mean, you've I mean, you've been coaching talent both big and small in big markets and small markets in today's radio, Mike. What are you absolutely loving that you're hearing right now? And what are you cringing? You're like, why are we doing that in radio today?
0: You know, the very best air talent I hear today are very, very genuine. Uh, They're natural fibers. Like I said, when I started, there was, you know, people named Machine Gun Kelly, Shotgun Tom. Today, you had some people with funny names, but they were air talent from long ago. Yeah. uh, Who've survived today. Um, The best people today are people who don't know what it means to sound like a disc jockey. Right. Uh the people who can sound like the listeners, those are the people that really sound entertaining. The ones that try too hard, the ones that do stupid, silly DJ tricks, um, just don't happen today. I mean, that's from another time. And and today with social media being what it is, with TikTok what it is, everybody who has a phone is a broadcaster of some form. Yeah. And so so the people that are really entertaining there are the ones who have the potential to entertain over the year.
1: So what about the talent who have been in radio who love radio, but then there's, there's this movement of a lot of radio stations lately in the last couple of years that are hiring uh social media influencers. Um, how should we look at that or, or how should we accept
0: that? Well, I mean, a couple of things. Some of the, stations that you'll see are going, oh, we've hired a social media influencer. If you peel back the layers of the onion, some of those quote unquote influencers do have radio experience, have been on the air somewhere, even if it was small market or just doing a little bit of it. Right. But so so it's not all just hire somebody who knows how to dance and sing and shake their ass. Yeah. <laughs> There's got to be some real showbiz. Right. The sense of sound. Yeah. The world changes when you have one sense, right? Um, and so the way to think about it is, if you're already on the radio, then how can you be a social media influencer? If you are on social media, how can you use that one sense, the sense of sound, to sell a story, to create an image, to entertain So in in my world, it's all about one platform. Yeah. And that's audio. One platform, audio. So in a nutshell,
1: you have a good talent who has a so-so social media following, and you have a pretty good talent who has a phenomenal social media following. Dumbing it down in a nutshell, this guy over here who has a social media, a giant social media following is more valuable than this guy in today's world.
0: There, there is value to having a large social media following, but we've still not, as an industry, figured out how to generate real revenue consistently from it. Joe Rogan gets millions from Spotify because Joe Rogan's an amazing communicator. Howard Stern gets millions from SiriusXM because Howard Stern's an amazing communicator. And so there has to be substance to the story. You know, there are a lot of pretty women who dance to music on TikTok. But when you see that person who figures out how to do a 30-second recipe and everybody's blowing up because they want to make this upside-down cake, that's somebody who can communicate. Gotcha. And there's the difference. And by the way, we are in a lemming business in radio, right? Right. So I guarantee you there are some people who are hiring influencers just because they think it makes them seem smarter, not because that influencer has substance. I would rather hire a comedian who has a strong social media following because that person knows how to communicate in quick bite.
1: There is a book uh, I read called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, Great book. Did you ever read that book? Yeah,
0: absolutely did. Did you like it? Yeah, yeah, I liked it very much. I even uh, wrote a book for radio uh, with Larry Rosen of Edison Media. It was called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Radio Stations.
1: Really? Uh, and
0: so we applied wow. that, yeah. Well, yeah, at least much so.
1: to this question, Well, if, if you can give just three habits of highly successful broadcasters uh, who are winning today, what would you say those three things are?
0: in your opinion? Amazing ability to communicate through stories. Great storytellers are always in demand. Second thing would be great connectivity with the audience, be it a local audience or a national audience. Are you able to communicate something that connects with that listener and means something to them? The third thing would be be everywhere and be seen everywhere. If you can be everywhere and be seen everywhere, then you become a top of mind talent, and that top of mind awareness in the very noisy world we live today makes you memorable. And being memorable is what gets you listeners, ratings, revenue.
1: Wow! Thank you, Mike McVeigh. I heard you talking to uh, another great programmer. I uh, talking about uh, the talent who become programmers. And coaches uh, versus the talent who uh, who don't make good coaches. Those who are, uh, I guess, the all stars. You know, the the Kobe's and the Lebrons and the. You, you made a good point, and I want you to sum it up because uh, I think you could say it better than I can about you know what personalities or jocks can make a great coach in the future or a great programmer.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, you had mentioned early on uh, that you worked with Rick Dees. Rick Dees is an amazing talent. Even today, he's still an amazing talent. And so if you are working with Rick Dees, he's going to be able to show you things and he's going to say to you, watch how I do this and you'll learn from it. But if Rick Dees were to stop doing that show daily Mm -hmm. and focus on coaching you, he's going to assume that you have the skills he has and he's going to request things of you that you may not be capable of doing. And so I, what I say to people all the time is, I did mornings for five years. I thought I was a good morning talent. I wasn't a great morning talent. If I had my druthers, I'd have been a great morning talent. I would have loved to have made $5 million a year and do mornings. But, but what I realized was that by looking at other talents who I idolized or envied or admired, I picked up those things they did right, and then I applied them to talent who had similar skills that needed to hone them. And so it goes back to the old thing of Larry Bird was an amazing basketball player, but he wasn't a great NBA coach. Right. Because Larry Bird is an amazing basketball player. Michael Jordan's an amazing basketball player. Yeah. He's a good owner of an NBA team. Mm-hmm. But I but I think you have to to, to be a coach of talent, you have to recognize great talent, understand the skills of the person you're coaching, and then listen to them. Not just what's coming out of the speakers, but what are they telling you? What do they want to do? What do they think they're capable of? And then guide them to figure out how to get the best and most out of them. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what, what about did you at some point want to be a star? Did you want did you have your name in bright lights? Like where did the ego come into play? Mike?
0: I, I mean, I still have an ego, so, <laughs> you know, it's, I don't know that the ego doesn't uh, come into play for all of us. Um, you know, when I was on the air in, in little old Pittsburgh PA, when I was a PD morning man in wheeling and PD morning man in Charleston, um, I did middays in Louisville. You know, I wanted to I wanted to be that big star, but I realized that I made a bigger name for myself as a programmer. When the ratings started coming, when people started asking questions of me, when they asked for advice, I realized I could charge for that advice. And so that was the path I took. And I and I love that creative process. I love working with great talent, and and I'm really happy about some talent I've discovered along the way that I've helped become bigger, some that were pretty big and I helped become even bigger, and amazing people I got to work with that I feel honored to have uh, spent any time with along the way.
1: We were talking about Rick D's, and uh, one of the moments that I'll always remember was I think I was fresh out of high school, 18 years old. And he gave everybody a gift card for Christmas, you know, and he gives me a, uh, I think it was a Ruth Chris Steakhouse gift card. And it was for $50. And he gave it to me. And I'm like, whoa, $50. I can go so many times. And then I went one time, lo and behold, (laughs) that was my introduction to
0: the great American steakhouses. Yeah, I'm sure you walked into Ruth Chris, ordered the steak, and then they said, And what size would you like? Right. And you having no idea that each one of those costs something too. Yeah, because the steak itself was like $49. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: A lot of the things that I picked up and learned at the morning show bootcamp, uh, going back to social media is oversharing your life on social media or, 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 or at least staying relatable and relevant. Where do you draw the line?
0: You know, I think it depends on who that person is. Um, you know, some years back when um, Jamie White was working with Danny Bonaduce at Star, I she lost a baby. and And I heard her talk about that miscarriage on the air. In her world, that's who she was. And she wanted to open it up, open up her life about it, to share that so that other women who had gone through that Realized it happens more than you know, Mm -hmm. it's a real thing, and and it's painful. Mm -hmm. And when you're going through it, there's a certain amount of embarrassment with it. And so in her case, she was comfortable doing that. I know a lot of other people who not only would never share that, but were uncomfortable hearing her share that. I think it comes down to who you as a person are. I would never ask a talent to share something they're uncomfortable with. If, if talent want to share something on their socials and they want to talk it on the air about it on the air, mm. that's up to them. And, and there's other talent that I've worked with. Jade Donovan, when she was at PLJ and, and now she's on Apple music, Jade really wanted to share the Todd Pettengill was in Austin, Texas, and not in New York City. And Todd was uncomfortable with that. And so we didn't allow that just because he was uncomfortable with it. Now, in Jade's case, she really thought that wasn't being truthful to the audience. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's a very individual thing. Your truth might be someone else's secret. And, and you've got to remember that when it comes to social media.
1: Wow. Seriously good advice. Thank you, Mike. Mike, a, a lot of the industry has changed, I, I guess, in the last couple of years for obvious reasons. I mean, everything is growing so rapidly. And, and, you know, I'm trying to keep up myself by reading, you know, business articles from like, you know, Harvard Business Review about what it takes to stay on top and not only stay on top, but what it takes to uh, be a quick learner and adapt and being able to adapt to an ever-changing industry. radio's changed a lot. Um, in what ways have you seen it uh, uh, change in a positive way versus uh, a, a way that's been a, a, a new challenge to
0: the industry? You know, I think, I think all change is scary. And I, I love that you asked this question because I write a column in Radio Inc. It's out there every Monday. And about once or twice a month, Someone will use a fake name and write some thing yeah. about radio being ruined, or or some other negative thing. And 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 I mean, first off, like in Bill Maher's world, new rules: you shouldn't complain about something unless you have a solution. And so, to all the naysayers who just are, get off my lawn! Right, right. You know, come on, I have a solution. But the other part of it is. It's been changing since radio began, and, it, and everything changes. And so to the people that complain about change, you, you've either got to figure out how to be malleable and evolve, or you got to go do something else, because nothing is static. Things that are static die. Right. Things that stop growing die. So things have to change. And so there was AM only. Then it was AM-FM. My God, when I was starting in radio as a kid, we were worried about CB radios hurting the time spent listening (laughs) of radio. Yeah. Because all these people were talking on CB. And then you come to different types of radio and more channels and music television and so on. Look at the DSPs now. Spotify, Pandora, go on and on, name them all. There are new ones popping up. Their competition is increasing. It becomes a lot less easy and much more hard when you have more competition. And so I just think my approach has always been, what's new, what's interesting. We're hearing about artificial intelligence where they can duplicate your voice. If you're an air talent, you should either be afraid or you should be figuring out how it's your voice they want to copy. And so you just can't stop and fear it yeah. and complain about it. When I was a young guy and, and I was moving up the ranks as a programmer, and I would hear the old PDs grumble, I would nod my head and go, yeah, it's tough. And in my brain, I was going, why don't you retire so I can have your job? <laughs> and i'm sure there's people that want your job and my job yeah and i pray to god there are that they're out there
1: i i guess at some point everybody gets to that realization that like you know you're either going to be fluid with the change or you're going to you know you're going to be the uh, the old guy in the back and wanting to fight it you know and i think uh especially in today's world not only is a radio that's changing but it's uh it's almost every other industry that's rapidly changing today. How did you, uh, uh, I guess it's through experience, but become a consultant, not just to uh, uh, radio stations here in the United States, but beyond? I mean, you, you're in multiple countries. How did that happen? I mean, I mean, you know, it, I don't know if it's a dumb question, but I, I, I sincerely want to know.
0: Yeah, no, not a dumb question at all. Um, you know, first off, the way I became a consultant was early in my career, a couple of stations I worked at had consultants. I admired them. I liked watching what they did. Um, And I I remember thinking to myself, if I do really well as a programmer, I could become a consultant. And along the way, I became a general manager and I bought some radio stations and then I became a consultant because people were asking me for advice and were willing to pay for it. And I felt an advantage I had was... Unlike many programming consultants, who are, frankly, program directors who get fired mm. and then decide they're going to be a consultant, I didn't lose my job. And I had experience at generating revenue in addition to growing ratings. and And so that gave me an advantage over my competitors. As we built the company and we got success in America, I started getting invited to speak at other nations broadcast conferences and people just came up and talked okay. to me
1: and what was the first uh, invite you got that was overseas
0: uh the nab europe well the first one that would have been out of the country would have been in canada uh, canadian music week but the nab used to have an nab europe and so they would do a conference every spring and so i spoke in uh monaco uh madrid uh, Amsterdam, uh, wow. London. And so spoke a lot of places. Uh, Canadian music week was the first out of the country. And then I spoke at the, uh, Federation of Australian broadcasters and in New Zealand, the mobile awards. Um, and so that led to clients in, in all of those countries.
1: That's gotta, that's gotta be, that's gotta feel pretty freaking cool to be able to just, uh, get on a plane yeah. because you were booked to speak at a conference in Australia and you're flying. It's a whole nother caliber. It's a whole nother platform.
0: No, it, it absolutely is cool, but it's also what keeps me humble. Um, Cause I know how blessed I am. I know how lucky I am. You know, I started consulting at a time when radio was starting to deregulate and people were buying lots of stations and so they'd gone from owning seven to 12 to 50 yeah. to a hundred. Yeah. And, and so they needed help. Um, and so I, I don't know if somebody could build today what I built back then. Right. Just because it's so much, dif- so much different today. Yeah. It's so much more difficult
1: to do. We were talking about, you know, my mentor was Rick Dees. It will always be a hero of mine. Who, uh... Uh, You talked about, you know, the real Don Steele and Charlie Tuna that you've worked with legends uh, at the beginning of your career, but who was uh, your mentor? Who helped you out?
0: You know, the biggest, the biggest mentor I would acknowledge in regard to programming was Ed Salomon uh, that I mentioned earlier. Ed, uh, he'd been a program director in Pittsburgh, um, which is my hometown. Uh, When I went to Wheeling, West Virginia, he approached me to do overnights and. Pittsburgh and I passed um, when I went to Charleston, West Virginia. By then, he had moved to New York, was programming WHN and was the uh, corporate PD for store. And, and Ed reached out and gave me a chance to go to LA from Charleston, West Virginia Yeah, to be an APD on the corporate side. And I, I learned so much from him. He was a good teacher. Um, there was a jeweler who owned the radio stations I was the market manager of in Cleveland, a guy named Larry Robinson. Uh, Larry owned J.B. Robinson Jewelers. Larry, when he bought the station, hired a guy who'd been mostly a PD in my life. Um, I'd had one market manager job before, small market, Mobile, Alabama. And he gave me a chance. And Larry taught me a lot. He was a former MBA instructor from Harvard. Wow. And so Larry would say to me, here's why you want to do this. Yeah. Here's why this makes sense. And so I learned so much from him. And then I have to say uh, a guy that was a consultant for me in the early days, Charlie Cook. Uh, Charlie Cook was the first person my wife and I hired a year after we started the company. Uh, Charlie's still a high profile programmer today. And we just learned a lot by trial and error, Yeah, you know, calling each other going, don't ever do this. <laughs> this fails. Or, yeah. hey, this worked. And I would say those are the first three that come to mind.
1: Do you ever look back at your career and you think it's one thing to have, you know, Mike McVeigh on the podcast, but it's an, it's it's almost like, you know, to, to celebrate your career and all the achievements you've done. I mean, it's it's a it's a list. It's a lot. You've done a lot.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't. I mean, if if, any, if anyone, if there's things people criticize me for, family and friends that know me well, I have a terrible work-life balance, you know, because work is my life. Right, right. And it's my golf game and it's my hobby and I love it. Um, and I don't stop and acknowledge those things. I, I know they're there. I'm very happy. I'm always honored When I get an award, but, but I want my successes to be the accomplishments I've made for my clients, the things that I've done to help other people grow their career. I I want people to, you know, be able to say, Mike McVay didn't charge me, he helped my career. (laughs) You know, I mean, those things carry more weight because they'll last longer and they'll outlive me. And, and I think in the end, that's what it's really about, creating a legacy that goes beyond your life. That's awesome,
1: Mike. It's uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And uh, I, I we were talking about um, you know dressing up in suits and everything. And I want to tell you real quick a a story uh, of how I snuck in the building at Kiss FM. I was I think seventeen years old, going on eighteen, and I drove my blue Chevy Silverado uh, from Ranch Cucamonga. It was like a, I think I skipped the the morning of school and I drove 45 miles to Burbank and Rick Dees was doing a, a live broadcast at a Krispy Kreme donut, okay, and they had the big 18 wheeler with the you know the stage flipped out on its side and then afterwards as they're starting to you know pull everything up in the truck and get ready to leave I go up to this guy and I say hey. You know, I'm a fan of Rick D's. You guys need any help with anything? Can I, you know, help you with the wires? Or You know, I'm a DJ. And he's like, no, 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 no. You're fine. You're fine. Well, how, how, can, I, can I meet Rick D's? And they're like, yeah. So he brought him out. I took a picture with Rick D's. And they said, hey, would you like a tour of Kiss FM? And I said, yes. Two weeks later, uh, I get the tour. I meet Rick D's. They sit me down. They put these old school headphones on. And they award me four Wango Tango tickets on the air. And it was probably the worst nice. air check I ever I, ever, I, I've, I, I still have it. I don't know where it's at, but I still have it somewhere. But it's terrible, Mike. It was just awful. But it was, it was so fun and ask, embarrassing.
0: Let me ask you the question. How how cool was it then to eventually be an air talent at KISS FM? It was
1: incredible. It was awesome. I mean, you know, I, I felt like I've reached the pinnacle of my career earlier than I thought I'd, I had hoped for. You know, Every, everything happens so fast. You know, I, I think I was, a, I was an answer for D's for a year. I became a phone op, then a board op, and then I went to 99.1 KGGI, and I was, I think, probably the longest part-timer there. I was there for seven years, Mike. Eventually got the full-time gig. A year later, I think I was bugging John Ivey with air checks, like, all the time, and, you know, John would never respond. I think there was one where he said, not good enough, keep trying. And I'm like, oh... All right, cool. So that was like the yeah. biggest thing, biggest deal for me to get uh, from John Ivy. Not good enough, keep trying. So that was, that meant he was listening. So finally, I kept sending to air checks and Lisa Marie calls me on the phone. She says, Hey, uh, John, John Ivy's about to call you right now. Are you by your phone? And I said, Yes, I am. I'm here. Okay, cool. And John calls me up and he goes, Hey, Freddie, so listen, I got a weird gig. Uh, you know, JoJo. Uh, said great things about you, and he he needs a new producer. Come over to us, uh, become JoJo's full-time producer. We'll put you on on the weekend and overnights. I know it's you know it's something different. You're not. It, I'll give you the weekend to think about it. Call me on Monday and we'll talk then. And I said, John, you can give me the weekend to talk uh, to to think about it. But my answer is yes, absolutely yes. Being that young, going to kiss it was just like an explosion in the head, Mike. It was.
0: I'm thankful for yeah. for uh, things that have happened yeah. to me too. So. I think it's fabulous. Hey, well, thank you. Let me apologize to your uh, listeners. I'm wrestling with an upper respiratory thing. So that's why my voice sounds like I'm uh, coming through some form of harmonizer today. <laughs>
1: no, you sound great. You sound great. Yeah,
0: thank um, you. Thanks.
1: I'll email you and keep keep you posted anyway. But thank you so much, Mike. You are you yes, are truly you, uh, a legend, and uh, I'm so thankful that I got to run into you near the bathrooms at that uh, morning show boot camp. That was pretty yeah. cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, and thanks. Once you send it to me, if it's okay, I'll put it out on my uh, social. Oh, heck and, yeah. Uh, I would love that. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. All
1: right. Great, man. Take care. Thanks. All right. You too, Mike. You. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh,